Ansel, what's up, man? It's been a while. Uh, we we haven't talked for like almost twelve days here, but excited to get back <laughs> on and 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 do Fed Watch. What do you think of uh, of the last episode? Oh man, I I liked it. Um, you always make me sound really good with your editing, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was fun. I hope we get to do those more dissecting the Fed speak. Yeah, definitely. And honestly, like I think it was just a great resource to get a get a little bit of a taste of what uh, those conversations are like and what Jerome Powell is actually telling lawmakers. Yeah, I mean that's part of the or that's the big reason behind this whole show is to kind of demystify this stuff and and bring this content out there. And so that is perfectly in line with what we're trying to do here. So I think that that might be like maybe the highest value add show that we've done so far. We should definitely try to do more. Uh, I know they, they have not to that magnitude, but they have press conferences and there, there is other content being put out by, uh, by the fed and, and by lawmakers that we can cover. So I'm excited to do that and shake things up a little bit with that kind of content. We're also going to start planning interviews. So if there are people that you want to get on FedWatch, watch, uh, let us know. We would love to consider them. Uh, so look out for, for new interview shows. Um, but yeah, one of the craziest things that I've noticed is since we've started doing the show, it's been like maybe 12 weeks of FedWatch. The amount of things that the Fed has been doing has been expanding pretty much on a weekly basis. Like every single week, there's something new. And this week is no exception. Do you want to jump into kind of the updates around corporate debt purchases and uh, and other things like that? Yeah, so we've kind of touched on this in a couple different shows where they're going out there and buying corporate debt, even junk debt. And they started by doing just ETFs. So they were just buying like an index ETF is buying an index of, of different bonds. And so they started by doing that. Uh, but yesterday, we're recording this on the 30th. So the 29th, they started buying straight corporate debt, uh, not as part of ETF. So that's a new development. We kind of knew it was coming, but uh, that is a new development. So what are the specifics around that? They're not buying all corporate debt. They're buying very specific corporate debt. Right. It's for struggling businesses that that are specifically they're supposed to be large employers and I, I don't know exactly the number maybe let's say 500 employees or something like that so it's supposed to be for almost too big to fail corporates out there that's already like we were talking real quick in the pre-show that's already like unequal right they're, they're saving these big corporates and letting these smaller guys that might have 50 employees letting them go out of business so it's already unequal in that way also it's supposed to be struggling businesses, but they're buying everybody like Microsoft, Apple, Berkshire Hathaway, uh, these cash heavy businesses that don't really need a bailout. Maybe they do. And, and we don't know what's going on with their balance sheet, but they I mean, Apple had hundreds of billions of dollars of cash. Uh, Warren Buffett had hundreds of billions of dollars of cash before this whole thing happened. So I don't think they're really struggling too much, uh, but they're still getting their bonds bought by the Fed. Well, the definition of a struggling business is a business that can prove that it is losing money because of COVID. It's not actually mm. like actually struggling like they're going to die. So anyone that can prove that they are losing money because of COVID is struggling because of COVID, right? Um, so <laughs> yeah, like that's why Apple, Microsoft, like that's the case that their lawyers are making. And really what it's doing is like, the government only has so many ways it can distribute this relief and it can only scale so much. So 
they're trying to touch the most people that they can, but that inherently, you know, has the cancel on effect with it. Once again, like with the lockdown and now with this, they're, they're screwing over the little guy. They're screwing over the small mom and pop shops. The people that in the organizations that give this country like life and color and are not corporate and suits, it's, it's just kind of crazy to watch. It's sad. Yeah, well, that's a good point that the the Fed only has so many weapons, right? They only have so many tools. They are designed to be a banking authority and a mo- you know something to set the monetary policy and a banking authority. They're not designed to be an actual bank themselves to give loans to individual businesses. So they're out of their depth here by a long ways. And then we can see how this comes about. They're they're going to they're going to struggle at doing this type of thing. I so just, did, I did want to also go ahead. Yeah, no, go for it. Well, I was just going to say, I also wanted to point out the size of this. So the ETFs that they bought were around 7 billion and the market for ETFs is roughly a trillion, give or take. Uh, this is bond ETFs. And so that's less than 1% of the bond ETFs out there. And this, these corporate bonds, um, they've only bought 400 million worth and that's a $10 trillion market. So they're just barely scratching the surface. And what I wanted to point out was that the result, because the spreads have shrunk and the, uh, you know, the corporate uh, bond market has really returned to normal pretty much. And it's not because the Fed bought $400 million worth of corporate bonds. It's mainly because of adding a new aspect to the Fed put, that they will come in there and they will support the market not that they're actually supporting the market, but it's the expectations that they will. And so the, the Fed basically just talked the market back. They only had to do $400 million worth of buying of bonds. We kind of touched about this yes, or last week with, uh, with that you know, an analysis of what Jerome Powell was saying was that they said they were going to buy corporate ETFs and therefore the market reacted. So then they had to back it up by actually buying the ETFs, even though it quote unquote wasn't necessary anymore. Oh yeah. With, with the elephant, the, the, you know, the famous saying now, uh, Jerome Powell, they don't want to be an elephant going in there and wrecking the price discovery mechanism of the market. Well, uh, I think they're interpreting that as like, okay, well, we're only going to spend a billion or so. So it shouldn't, we technically are not affecting the price with our purchases, but their fed put is what's affecting the price right? It's just the idea of the Fed and the idea that the Fed will come in and rescue the markets. That is a major determinant of prices. So the put is, is this intention that the Fed will save us, right? And it seems as though even the layman believes this now, that the Fed is not going to let the market crash and potentially a reason why we you know, are seeing this skyrocketing equity prices. Um, you know, everyone believes that they're not going to let the market fail. So might as well be in the market. Yeah. And when they say they're not the elephant, well, they're, they're technically correct because they're not spending a lot of money, but the elephant is the fed itself that they are having to come into the market. They're putting this on their backs. It's almost like they're damned if they do. And they're damned if they don't, they can't help but be an elephant. Yeah. Enter Bitcoin. Well, I mean, when you rule the, (laughs) The monetary policy of uh, of the the world reserve currency, 
you know, there's no winning. That's why there's no winning monetary policy and hence Bitcoin. Speaking of, of Bitcoin and Bitcoin's biggest competitor, uh, there are issues with gold and verifying gold. And one of the reasons why Bitcoin has uh, some advantages over gold. Uh, let's talk about this counterfeit gold scandal in China. They found um, 83 tons worth of counterfeit gold bars. And this had been circulating in the gold rumor mill for a while. And I actually talked about it, I think, on my podcast, at least in a newsletter last year. This was being circulated. There's a lot of fake gold circulating in um, Asia. At the time, it was, some, it was rumored to be 200 tons, and this was only 83 tons. So take that for what you will. I kind of equated this to FUD. I don't know how to describe it really, but you know, Bitcoin, uh, they come out with this FUD all the time and try to uh, uh, say they're going to crack down on Bitcoin or they're going to propose this legislation about Bitcoin because they can't actually mess with the supply. Uh, but with gold, they can. So um, if I were trying to smash gold and maybe control its uh, move, price movements, then uh, I would do something like this and expose all this fake gold out there. What do you, what do you think about that idea? Conspiracy. Uh, yeah, a little conspiracy theory. You think that people that are creating the gold are doing it for the purposes of destroying gold's reputation, not to, you know, cheat people and, and spend the gold or whatever. Or they could be doing both. Yeah, they could be doing both. Um, or just like the authorities know about it, but they're going to let it go until it's politically useful to them to find it. Right. And then they find it and smash gold. So that's kind of my idea. Gotcha. Uh, I mean, th there's really nothing to prove you wrong, right? Um, <laughs> the jury's still out for, you know, where this gold came from and all this, oh, this fake gold came, um, you know, but that shows, you know, again, uh, an area where Bitcoin really thrives is that if you have a node, you can verify it. You don't need any, there is very, very little, um, barrier to entry to verify a Bitcoin and to make sure that it's yours. So uh, that keeps getting easier and uh, that, you know, is going to be a, a big differentiator. Yeah. And not just verify your own Bitcoin, but verify everyone's Bitcoin. Um, even if you take gold and you verify your gold coins or gold bars or whatever, um, you're not going to verify everybody's. So um, Bitcoin, is, it just is light years ahead uh, on this type of uh, counterfeitability in money. I'm excited. Let's uh, let's jump into Bitcoin. I can't, so I, I talked to Bitcoin Tina a lot and he really, really thinks that the Fed is going to not stop printing money. They're just going to nonstop print money. There is nothing that can happen that is going to end that reality. They're just going to print till it's over. And he thinks that that is going to be extremely bullish for Bitcoin. And I was listening to a uh, TIP, the Investors Podcast, with uh, Grant Williams and uh, Luke Roman. Yeah, Luke Roman oh, yeah, and Grant yeah, Williams. Yeah, yeah. And listening to that podcast made me realize that he's right, that the Fed is going to continue printing money, that money is going to go into assets, and Bitcoin is a fixed supply digital hard currency. And... Uh, I don't see that trend ending, even if they slow down, like it's still gonna, you know, the trend is not ending at all. I think that this show has also shown me that that is going to be true. And even the update that we had earlier, 
what am I seeing in Bitcoin? Fed is going to make the number go up. Well, I mean, you know, my position is uh, I don't necessarily know if what they're doing is printing money. Um, I think it, it could be money replacement, right? Money is being destroyed at a breakneck pace, probably faster than the Fed is printing. So, or quote unquote printing. Uh, so the total uh, credit supply is contracting and that's deflation. So I think what, they're, what we're going to see is, yes, there's going to be unlimited QE. Pick a number, $100 trillion worth of QE, but it's not going to do anything. It's not going to push prices up. Growth is going to slow even further. You know? And um, so my, my kind of vision isn't that Bitcoin is going to benefit from a hyperinflation of the dollar or anything. Bitcoin is just going to be where all the growth is. The rest, the traditional system, the US dollar-based system is going to slow to zero growth. All of the growth is going to be found with alternative, alternative currencies like Bitcoin. So that's what I see. I definitely agree with that too, right? Like Bitcoin is the real economy and everything else at this mm-hmm. point is completely manipulated. Maybe the word money printing is, is something that <laughs> gets thrown around and has different definitions. But ultimately, the fact that the Fed is reallocating capital and, and yes, unlimited QE, but at some point, they're going to have to turn on UBI, uh, UBI too. I, I think that that is inevitable. At some point, the plebeians are going to demand the fruits of the money printer a little bit. And deflation is going to make that even more, you know, more necessary. It sounds like Congress is already mulling over the next stimulus package. And, you know, that's good for Bitcoin. Well, you know, it also depends how they finance UBI. Because when they, when they sell treasuries, they're taking money out of the market. Uh, you give them dollars and they give you uh, a bond. So they're, they're taking money out of the market when they do their spending like that. The, the only way that they're going to get inflation is if they do UBI without financing it through treasuries. Straight up just printing money. That's actual printing money. And I, I want to go back to this too, that in history, we've never had a pure international global reserve currency that is credit-based. This is going to be the first end of the debt cycle where it's credit-based. And so we can look back and say, okay, well, you know, 1920, 1840 or whenever, uh, these throughout history, the, the end of the cycle, they all ended in inflation. Well, that's because it was a commodity-backed money where they were printing currency on top of that. Now we don't have a commodity-backed money. They're not printing necessarily printing currency. They're, they're creating more credit or they're trying to create more credit. And like I said, it's pushing on a string. So I think a lot of people are applying this commodity-backed hyperinflation scenario to the current credit-based system. It's completely different in my mind. We're kind of in uncharted territory. And I guess turning it directly to Bitcoin, volume's been down, difficulty's been flat, price has been flat, slash down-ish. You know, what, what's your TA on this? I personally don't spend much time looking at a chart. You pretty much covered it. It's uh, going sideways. It's been going sideways since the halving. Uh, I expect it to, the next major move, I'm biased towards a breakout upwards. But right now, I think consolidation and we'll find out. The, the biggest telltale sign will be when volume does spike. And when that happens, I don't know, probably, well, it has to happen when the deflationary spiral catches up. So the halving, it's going to take a little while for it to kick in and then price will have to start moving up if demand stays constant. What do you make of the grayscale narrative? Well, the premium has been shrinking drastically. 
uh, on Bitcoin, it, it used to be where when the premium was at 30 or 40%, that was like local top in Bitcoin. Uh, and then when it would get down to 20%, that would be like a local bottom. Well, it's now it's below 20%. I think it's roughly 12 to 15% of a premium on Bitcoin. Um, on Ethereum, it's, I haven't looked at it in a couple of weeks, but it was up there like 800% premium. Uh, I think that's I think extremely dangerous. Last time it was like 200% or something like that. Oh, it's come down that much. Um, well, 800 is extremely dangerous. And I, a lot of people were boasting about that shows a lot of demand out there. But I just, I think it shows illiquidity. Like there is just no place to get it. And a few people are able to take advantage of this gigantic premium. So, uh, and it, it's just going to create more volatility in the future. So uh, I think that's dangerous for Ethereum. Bitcoin, it would be healthy if the, that premium did fall. What, what else, what other part of the grayscale narrative are you talking about? Well, I'm glad that you did that analysis because I had no idea about the, the correlation between the premium and local tops. The narrative is that more Bitcoins are entering into grayscale than are being mined. And mm-hmm. uh, the way that grayscale works is that it's a trust. And the only way that the Bitcoin can be released is if the trust is disbanded and closed. For the time being, legally, the way that it's set up, it's a one-way street. Bitcoins go in and then they stay in Coinbase because Coinbase is custodying Grayscale's Bitcoin. So they're like really strong holders. I think it's it's good. That that Bitcoin won't disappear. I mean, it's uh, it'll probably eventually, <laughs> eventually it'll be seized by the United States government. Is Oh my God, I'm sorry, dude. Oh, what was I saying? I was talking about how they're, it's a one-way street and you said that they're strong holders, but eventually the U.S. government gonna, is going to seize the Bitcoins. Yeah, don't you, don't you think that's a big honeypot for U.S. government um, to do, to seize? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree that it is. And I think that there's a race for companies to become sovereign. And we already see some companies sovereign-ish, but Coinbase is a great example of a company that can become sovereign to some degree so i don't like you can look at bitfinex i think the reason why bitcoiners love bitfinex is because they're a sovereign company um and they always i mean obviously that's just one reason but i think that's one reason that makes them really interesting and i think crypto exchanges are probably some of the closest companies to become sovereign themselves Binance is maybe a a sovereign company and the business model is going to continue to prove itself it That's would be good for the U.S. government to seize that Bitcoin, but that I think there's a race. Is the U.S. going to seize it before Coinbase becomes sovereign, or is Coinbase going to become sovereign before the U.S. Uh, gets that cold storage? So that's interesting. So you're applying the sovereign individual concept to companies. So these are sovereign yeah. companies. Yeah, that's that's very interesting. Have you been talking about that on your other podcasts and stuff? Well, I talk about jurisdictional arbitrage a lot, but I haven't really talked uh, about sovereign companies as much. The idea of a DAO seems so sexy, but what's more, what's more likely is sovereign companies. And Bitfinex is really an example. And again, Binance, Binance too. Yeah, I like the concept. Um, the problem with it is the lack of anonymity. So the governments can still come in and arrest Brian Armstrong. You know what I'm saying? So that is one aspect that is probably holding them back from becoming truly sovereign in that way. Yeah, but him fleeing to another jurisdiction is not impossible. 
it's actually probably one of the easiest things that he can do. I mean, when you're the, an enemy of the state, jurisdiction doesn't really matter too much. I mean, but again, that's where defensive technology comes into play. What if every company starts mm-hmm. doing that, right? Then the, the game plan has to change. Yeah, or what if, the, what if uh, Coinbase gets its own security force? right? Then it's a whole different ballgame. Honestly, I think Bitcoin is going to enable some crazy Asian. There, there's a lot of companies that are dabbling here. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I, I think the idea of, of the US seizing that Bitcoin, it's definitely very, very possible. Just depends on you know who does it first, right? Yeah. And it, it wouldn't be anytime soon. Um, we would see it coming a long time beforehand. And by that time, maybe Grayscale switches their policies. You know, So if they see if they get wind that the government is trying to freeze their accounts or uh, trying to find ways to get that Bitcoin, then uh, they'll probably change it and move it somehow or close down their fund. I mean, I, I don't, I'm not a huge fan of Barry Silbert. I'm a huge fan of him as an entrepreneur, but um, yeah, I think he will probably outsmart the government. The future is going to be real interesting. Any closing thoughts here? I think that this is a good rip. Um, no, we'll just see how the, I mean, it's in a quiet period right now, but all, all of the financial markets are in a quiet period. The stock market's kind of stable right at the, uh, mm-hmm. after a big bounce. Bitcoin is stable. The Fed is doing all their different policies and all their different facilities, but the dollar is kind of stable. I mean, everything is in a holding pattern. So I think July and Q3 are going to be pretty exciting. All right. Well, I'm excited for some fireworks. But maybe, uh, maybe I should be thankful for the calm. I do have one last <laughs> observation. I have a lot of friends that are, you know, quote unquote, millennial stock traders. And there's a lot of shit coining going on. I must, and, and I feel like it feels a lot like 2017. <laughs> I have no idea what the top is. I don't think it's here yet. But it's very much shit coin vibes to me. In the traditional stock market? Yeah. Just like the attitude of the traders. Like picking, you know, picking bottom dweller shit coins in the stock yeah. market and, and see, thinking that they're going to pump. So uh, I don't think that this is the beginning. I don't think that this is the end by any means. I don't get those vibes yet, but it feels very similar to uh, the froth from 2017. Yeah. But remember stocks are traditionally um, good in periods like this because um, it's actual ownership. So it's c- kind of like a hard asset in a way it's ownership of future cash flows of a company. And just thinking of it that way, I mean, there could be a lot more demand out there. Um, and if, if you're looking at bonds at 0% around the world and you can buy a dividend yielding company that's going to yield you 3% or 4% dividends, why not turn your whole, whole bond portfolio into stocks or a big portion of it and get, get that 3 or 4% uh, dividend? I think it could go a lot higher, honestly. Do you put money in, in stocks at these levels or are you just sticking with cash and Bitcoin? I'm not selling any stocks. I sold, I, I sold stocks I a little short. bit ago, but I'm holding. Are you? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, sold, would, I, would I, I was it. a seller, but I'm, I'm holding now. So I kind of di- just got more cash. Well, that's good, man. You're diversified. You're, you're shifting around your allocation a little bit. That's good. I probably could have uh, been a better trade though. I don't know if it was the best <laughs> trade. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, and so where can people find you, man? Bitcoinmarkets.com have a newsletter there that goes out every Friday and a podcast that I haven't done a lot with lately, but I'm going to be hopefully getting more into the groove of doing my other podcasts as well, along with this uh, FedWatch. Let's go. Trying to work until here. 
Um, you guys can find me at CK underscore Snarks. Please give Bitcoin Magazine podcast a like and a subscribe. Please share this on Twitter. You guys, our listener count is flatlining and this show deserves a lot more views. So uh, we need your help. Please share and subscribe and do all that good stuff. All right. Peace, Ansel. A quick reminder that all of the content in this episode is for informational and entertainment purposes only. You should not construe the information as legal, tax, investment, financial, or any other advice. Nothing contained in this presentation constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, or offer by BTC Media, the Let's Talk Bitcoin Podcast Network, or any third-party service provider to buy or sell securities or any other financial instruments. Do your own research. Mm-hmm.